welcome to the Special Ed Files. I'm Jennifer Laviano, a special education attorney. And I'm Julie Swanson, a special education advocate. Case by case, we expose what really goes on in special education. Each episode, we open up a case based on real life experiences. We reveal where things went wrong and explain the legal implication. Finally, we solve the problem so you don't have to. Let's open up a file. All names in this podcast have been changed to protect the individual's identities. Okay, let's open up the file on Pavit and the Pill Pushers. Jen? The facts, Julie. We'll start with the facts, okay? So Pavit was a fourth grade student who had been diagnosed with ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, and was receiving services from his school district um, as a result of his ADHD um, for several years since I think first grade. When um, when the parents contacted me, it was because they had been concerned for many years about his reading. Um, and even though he had an IEP, an individualized education program, which is um, the document that um, parents and school districts develop together when a student is determined to be eligible for special education services, um, he had those services in place, but the parents had this ongoing worry about his reading. And ever since he was identified, every time they would bring up the issue of the reading and their concerns about the reading, um, the response that school team would give was that it was because of his attention deficit and that if he could just pay more attention, um, that he would be able to uh, read. And, you know, the backstory on this, Julie, that I think is really important in terms of the facts is that the parents had decided not to... Um, uh, have Pavit medicated for his ADHD. Many families do decide to put their child who has attention deficit on ADHD medication. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very common. But for a number of reasons, the parents in this case did not want to do so. One reason was that when he was very, very young, he had had a mild seizure that turned out to be nothing. As as you know, Julie, lots of children have seizures at various points and they don't develop into any kind of a disorder. But the side effect of a lot of the, the medications that address attention deficit is possibility of, of risk of seizure. Uh, and they just fundamentally didn't believe as a family in medicating um, a young child. And that is their absolute right. And they didn't want to do it. But the backstory there is that the school district was very frustrated because as part of Pavit's profile with his ADHD, he was rather hyper and rather inattentive. And the school team and many teams over the course of the first few years of his elementary school were pushing the parents pretty regularly to, to go to their pediatrician. Have you followed up on this? You know, we really think that if he were on medication, he, he'd be much more focused on his learning. And, you know, that was the response they got each and every time they brought up the reading concerns. And what led them to call me uh, was that, Connecticut, like many states, like most states, um, engages in what we call statewide testing of all students, of all students, whether they have disabilities or not. And that is often to uh, drive programming, to understand how the state is doing uh, on various measures of academic success. And so sometimes it's annually, sometimes it's, you know, second grade and fourth grade, 
but many states will do this statewide testing in addition to district-wide testing. And it's, it's um, and so the parents had seen over the years that Pavit would reverse letters, some classic signs of dyslexia, you know, the D's for the B's, he would do that um, in his writing and in his, it seemed when he was reading things aloud to them, they were very, very concerned. And the statewide testing came back um, in fourth grade. Uh, the results came back and it showed that he had gone from being sort of a borderline performer in uh, in the testing that they'd had to date to off the cliff, you know, to where mm. the gap was in the range of, and this isn't going back many, many years when we had a different assessment in Connecticut, but it had gone from the range of sort of being like at risk to this is a student who needs intervention. And they were uh, very upset and um, brought their upset to the attention of the team and they got the same old, well, if his attention was addressed through medication, then um, maybe he would be able to read response and they had had it and they called me. Mm-hmm. So and those are the facts. Jen, let me just say a word about our teachers. You know that we are huge supporters of teachers. And definitely, it, it, can be, it can be frustrating for parents, right? When we see that teachers are frustrated with uh, our children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is understandable in many circumstances that when a student isn't getting the appropriate support, right, which we're going to find out in this case that the student was not, right, um, that, you know, a, a student could be providing uh, or challenging the teacher with some behaviors that are hard to manage in a classroom. Um, it doesn't make it okay to say that we think your child requires medication. But it is understandable that sometimes teachers can get frustrated if kids aren't supported appropriately. No doubt. And, and you know, enough families do choose to medicate their children with who have ADHD diagnoses that it's become almost expected, you know, and we sometimes lose sight of the fact that it is a medical decision that a family must make and should make and has the right to make. And, um, and I can see where a teacher sees, I mean, we've seen, I've seen with, with, with um, many years of practice, tons of examples of where the proper medication does in fact result in real uh, changes in the child's ability to, to attend and to pay attention and to focus. It, it, you know, we, we have this tool, but it is a tool and it is a tool that comes with some risk and families are entitled to make that choice. And so um, I can understand where a teacher, you know, may be feeling like, God, geez, you know, why won't they just put this kid on medication? I, I know that's what was happening because it came out later that that was what the feeling of the teachers was. Um, and, and we, we understand it, we sympathize with it, but, um, well, Unfortunately, what had happened was it was masking the legitimate concerns about the reading. Right. And and this is why, uh, why evaluating a child in all suspected areas of disability is so important. Because had the teachers known that there was something else going on, perhaps they wouldn't have been so frustrated. That was the point I was trying to make. And it's a good point. And it is it is a point that we will make in every episode in all likelihood, which is that um, the response to a family's concerns, especially if it's a concern that's raised more than once, let alone many, 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 many times, right, of dismissing those concerns without investigating uh, whether there's a basis for those concerns is a practice we see far too often. Uh, you know, I, I point out, as we always point out, we're brought in when there are real problems. So we make the assumption that when people aren't bringing in attorneys and advocates, things are going smoothly um, and or 
that, you know, it's being addressed in some fashion where the parent doesn't get to the level of frustration where they need to bring in outside professionals. But, you know, more, I would have to say more frequently than not, my clients come to me in part frustrated because their concerns have been dismissed or underplayed or um, sort of taken um, mildly into account, but not really addressed. And that's a big mistake. And we're, we'll talk about things that could have been done differently here. But, you know, the the fact that the parents and the team didn't see eye to eye on the medication, um, that that led to a number of misunderstandings and um, some distrust or lack of uh, credibility in each other's positions. That was sort of the origin of the ultimate disagreement over Pavit's programming. So what's the law on this, Jen? Let's go over it. Okay. So there are a number of areas of the law that are implicated. You already touched on one of them, and I'm going to talk about the school district's obligation to evaluate a child in all suspected areas of disability. So, you know, just because a child gets an IEP um, for a disability doesn't mean that that's the only disability. Um, In fact, many students have more than one disability. And so, um, you know, we will sometimes hear when we address our concern to a team that we think that the IEP eligibility category, in this case ADHD, it's actually in Connecticut other health impaired ADD, but um, the federal law that governs ADHD, the the, the the category is OHI, which stands for other health impaired and includes attention deficit disorder as one of the um, health impairments that impacts children enough that they need services. Um, and so, you know, just because a child has services at, for a disability doesn't mean we rule out or don't look into other disabilities. You're supposed to evaluate in all suspected areas of disability because regardless of which box you choose as the label, as the primary disability, the law requires that the services address the unique needs of the child. And so if you're missing a key element of a disability that you're not addressing through the IEP, then that's not appropriate legally, or obviously is it going to result in an appropriate program, Julie? Right. And and again, as I said before, be, be due to the fact that other areas were not considered um, as causing uh, Pavit's um, challenges, is the teachers were frustrated thinking, well, this is just a classic case of ADHD. And the only way that really every, anything is ever going to improve for this young man is medication. Right. And, and that was the wrong assumption. It was. And the parents were saying, well, you know, how come up until word problems were introduced, math was a real strength. You know, if attention is the issue, how come he can he can pay attention in math class, but not in reading or language arts? And, you know, again, once word problems came into play, then he struggled because of, that requires the reading piece, right? Um, but yeah, so, so A, there was not the proper evaluation in all, in all suspected areas of disabilities until the parents brought me in and I asked for a thorough evaluation. Um, another area of the law that is implicated is the IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. That is the federal law that governs all of what Julie and I talk about in virtually every episode. It's special education law. And um, that statute actually has a prohibition in in the statute itself that school districts are not allowed to um, require that a parent place their child on medication, particularly any medication under the Controlled Substances Act, which virtually all medications um, that address attention deficit fall under. Um, They can't condition a parent's um, prescription or putting their child on that medication for either evaluation, services, um, or really, you know, in any way condition that on the student's programming. So, you know, it is a parent's medical choice. 
choice whether to ch- to place their child on medication. And the statute prohibits schools from requiring that a child be medicated in order to attend school or receive evaluations or services. Um, that doesn't mean that a teen can't or shouldn't. And in fact, the, the section that deals with that prohibition specifically says, we're not saying teachers and schools shouldn't share information about a student's performance. Um, or, you know, in fact, another part of the statute does allow teams to make medical referrals for evaluation purposes. Um, and so a team could, could ask a parent, you know, we want to refer your child to evaluate with a medical doctor um, because we believe we need that information in order to program for him or her. The ultimate decision about medication will still be the parents, but this team can discuss it. Um, although I, I caution people to look at their own state law in that regard, because there are some states that are much more strict about uh, limitations on schools in terms of medication. But, you know, in this particular case, while the district never came out and said, we're not going to give you this service or we're not going to do this evaluation unless you put your child on medication, practically speaking, that's what happened. They didn't evaluate him because they were frustrated about the lack of medication. And, And this was, Julie, this case ultimately came to a due process hearing, which is rare. As you know, it's, it's usually the case that you and I are able to resolve our clients' disagreements with their school districts without us having to litigate against them. But this case ultimately did go through a full hearing. And, you know, when you go through a full hearing, unlike when you resolve your case either in the IEP meeting or through a mediation, which is like a settlement conference, when you actually go through testimony of witnesses and and you go through a full hearing, you learn a whole lot more than you know just based on the educational records and you find out the real story. And the real story became very clear. The teachers were really ticked off at these parents that they hadn't put them on medication. And, um, you know, they presented, I think every single teacher who worked with the child talked about it uh, in their testimony. Uh, In every case I cross-examined with, you know, aren't you aware that you're not required, you know, you're not allowed to require a a student to be on medication in order to evaluate them or to provide them services? Frankly, many of them didn't know that um, in their, in their answer to my question, they were not aware of that prohibition, which is not unusual that, that teachers aren't given the training they need to understand Mm -hmm. all of the law. Um, But, you know, the, the, the sad reality was their uh, disconnect with the parent on that issue led to them just not seeing the reading piece. And the reading piece was there. It was very clearly there. Every red flag for dyslexia was there. And the ultimate evaluation did show that he was classically dyslexic in addition to having attention deficit. So, um, so, you know, there, you know, the law seems so boring and, um, a little confusing, in fact, a lot confusing even to lawyers to for many reasons. But there's a reason that Congress puts into place things like this. And it's because we know that if um, schools are allowed to require that a parent medicate their child, we're not going to get um, the kind of programming that the statute envisions. Right. And often, Jen, you know, when you do get an evaluation, whether it's um you know, by, by an outside evaluator, an independent evaluation, it will um, always say, or most often I should say, um, it should, um, that it may say parent or family recommendations. And it will often say in that section, you may want to consider um, uh, uh, medicating your child mm-hmm. um, to help alleviate the, uh, the symptomology of ADHD or whatever. Um, and oftentimes when I'm at IEP meetings and there is that section, we'll awful, often go over it, but we simply make, you know, make 
make a statement that, you know, the parents will certainly consider that. Um, yeah. But it's not something to be, you know, like, oh, gosh, are you going to do that, says the team, kind of a thing. Um, right. that, that shouldn't be happening. Right. Um, yeah. And another area of the law, Julie, that, that's impacted in this fact pattern is um, there, there is a requirement under the IDEA that included in the IEP, in that document, must be a statement of how, if at all, a student's disabilities will be accommodated during district and statewide testing, statewide testing in particular, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, why that's the case is that um, many students do require you know, a separate setting in order to receive that statewide testing so that they can focus or they're not distracted by their peers. Some students require high levels of accommodation, even modification of the test itself, um, which is permitted in some situations and in some states. Um, Other students do not. And um, in this case, the district had not provided the student with any accommodations for his um, statewide testing other than the separate setting, which was just a quiet resource room for him to take the statewide testing. He wasn't given um, any alternative assessment or modified assessment. He wasn't given um, any, um, you know, a scribe, which is like where sometimes you'll have an adult who can write down the answers for the student. Um, There's lots of different ways in which these tests can be accommodated as long as the, you know, meets the state's requirements. But, you know, it was included in the IEP that he had this separate setting. But here's why I'm bringing it up is that statewide testing can be a very strong indicator for families of whether their child is, in fact, making progress. Um, Unfortunately, many times around the IEP table, the parents will not really be seeing progress. They don't believe their child is making the level of progress that the team is reporting. And the team is very regularly saying, well, we feel that the goals have been met and that, you know, your child is making progress. That's where a lot of disagreements come about. Um, When you get that statewide testing and it shows that your child is significantly behind their non-disabled peers or the the students in the district or in the state in general, that's strong evidence for a family to, and in fact, in this case, that's what led them to call me is that they had been sort of been going around and around in circles about this reading issue for, for years. And then they get this document that's put out by the state that says, you know, according to our testing, even with, you know, your son Pavit being in a separate setting for the testing, he's well below his peers in the area of reading. Uh, and so it was a, it was red flag. And I bring it up because parents will, will pretty regularly just defer to whatever the recommendations of the IEP team are around this issue and say, well, if you think he needs, you know, a scribe, then that's fine with me. If you think he needs um, a modified test, that's okay with me. And in some cases, it's what's appropriate. But in many, many, many cases, you're losing the opportunity as a parent to get a true picture of where your child um, stacks up relative to the other students in your school, your district, or your state. And so I caution parents to be more thoughtful when that conversation comes up in IEP meetings. Right. So that statewide testing is often the great equalizer, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and in this case, it certainly was. So, okay. So let's do the rewind. The rewind, Julie. I know you love the rewind. <laughs> <laughs> the rewind is where we say what could have happened differently here um, in the hope as our hope is for the whole purpose of this podcast to avoid these mistakes happening um, in the future uh, for parents and educators. There you go. That's what I was just going to say. It's going to add that, but you beat me to it. Yeah. So what could have been done differently here, Julie? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start off with the fact that the, the district could be providing yearly ongoing training to staff 
about some of the basic concepts under the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And in this case, um, making teachers aware that there's actually a prohibition against talking about putting a child on medication, right? And, yeah. um, and had they been informed of this, Jen, perhaps they would have said, well, we can't talk about that. Maybe we really need to look at whether or not something else is going on. Right. Um, so and it's not that they can't talk about it, but they can't well, condition the services, the uh, evaluations on it. And, and that's, Julie, you're, you're spot on there, because what happened is by not knowing their obligation in this regard and not even really giving that any thought, uh, what happened is they didn't do the other thing that could have been done here very differently, which was to evaluate the reading. Sure. You know, when the parents bring up a concern, right. we're not saying every single concern that a parent raises is necessarily something that requires a full evaluation. But if it's something that they're continuing to see as a concern, evaluate it. If you're right as an educator that it's not, if if if, if these team members' philo- um, hypothesis, excuse me, which was he's not learning to read as well as he would be if he were on medication because of, of the attention deficit. If that was right, then the testing would bear that out, right? So, um, you know, go ahead and evaluate it and and either rule it in or rule it out. But don't just, you know, say, no, uh, we're sure it's not there, even though you see it as parents, um, yeah. because that's not only dismissive and, and is going to undermine your relationship with the family, um, but it's also just not the right thing to do from a from a pedagogical educational perspective. Right. And, you know, a tip to parents. It is so important that you ask for your parent input and concerns to be recorded on the IEP documentation, as yeah. these parents did, Jen, right? Yep. And, and don't stop beating the drum if you really feel that, you know, you believe in your heart of hearts that there really is something else going on. Um, so, you know, that's certainly a, 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 a tip. But, you know, yeah. another, another thing, Jen, is, and I say this to, you know, this is particularly around people who work in school districts, is, you know, you may not always agree with parents, but you really do have to respect a parent's medical decision about their yeah. child. You know, um, I, I understand this is a touchy subject, but at the end of the day, Parents get to be the people who make decisions about their children's med- medical decisions. Yeah, and-, and you know, it's it's an example of where you don't. I don't like to personalize things in IEP meetings, or certainly not in litigation in any way. But you you almost sometimes want to say to the teachers, you know, don't you want to make your own child's educational and uh, medical decisions? Like, you know, when it comes to medicine, um, don't you want to make your own? decisions about your child and whether or not you're going to put them on a medication. I mean, that's a fundamental parental choice and right and obligation. And, and um, you know, so sometimes it's sort of taking the perspective of the other side, you know? Sure. And, you know, the, the, the fact is that um, some people have very strong, some parents have very strong uh, feelings about medication and the side effects are highly worrisome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I know it's a touchy subject, but I really do encourage uh, people who work in school districts to try to respect a parent's decision. And, you know, Julie, that that kind of open communication, and this is what's so funny, um, not funny, haha, funny, ironic. Uh, in the In the actual hearing in this case, the outside evaluator who I had um, obtained 
through the school district, I had gotten the district to agree to pay for this one uh, psychologist to evaluate the child to figure out whether, in fact, uh, Pavit had you know, dyslexia in addition to attention deficit. And when she testified in the case, um, you know, she was like the last witness in the case because um, she was unavailable because she was busy professional. So we had all the teachers that had testified, a parent had testified, um, you know, she was kind of the last witness. And when she came in, she ha- she didn't know. I mean, she did this evaluation like a year before, said, yes, he has dyslexia um, in addition to the attention deficit. And then was called in to testify about um, the case. And so she had no idea that we had had, you know, like seven witnesses who had all talked at length about the medication issue. And if only he had been on medication and me cross-examining on this, you know, litigation, there are themes. And so this had been an ongoing theme in the hearing. And she didn't know. She just came to, to share her findings and recommendations with the hearing officer. And the board attorney um, started questioning her about the medication piece. And she was very adamant that she thought he should be on medication. And then when, of course, I then asked her, well, are you aware that it's the parent's choice? She said, absolutely, it's the parent's choice. There's no question it's the parent's choice. If he were my child, I'd put him on medication for the ADHD. So she actually endorsed the school district's position on that point, which just is, is, I bring that up to say that, you know, these things aren't mutually exclusive. The fact that he had dyslexia and attention deficit, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. And so discounting the other person's position out of hand doesn't mean that you're right, right entirely or wrong entirely. And, and with the support of that evaluator, after the after the hearing, the parents actually were eventually convinced to try a medication that, in fact, had low risk of seizures, um, because they you know they heard they heard from they trusted her because she uncovered the dyslexia, and and the irony here is if the team had focused more of their energy on making the parents see why they felt they should really strongly explore the medication piece. And also had evaluated the dyslexia, you know, if it had been much more of a collaborative approach as opposed to what ultimately became litigation, they probably all would have uncovered the dyslexia sooner and the parents might have considered the medication sooner. So um, that's why we do the rewind, Julie, is we like to point out what how things could have been done differently and avoided a lot of costs to everybody. Right. And we never want to make the, the, you know, people who work in school districts, the enemy. And, and yet had they just known and had more information, this could have turned out differently. Um, so, okay. The verdict, Jen, I think we've sort of hinted at it, but, um, it's, it's evaluate (laughs) when in doubt, evaluate when, whenever there is a concern that isn't yet, uh, being addressed in the IEP or has not yet been thoroughly evaluate, evaluate. I mean, it's it's just, you know, it's like they say in real estate, location, location, location. We say in special education, evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. Um, because, you know, more often than not, you're going to uncover something sooner that's going to be less expensive to address because you had figured it out sooner and the student isn't so far along in their education that um, intervention is harder. So evaluate. Right. And what a relief for the family um, to finally figure out that Pavit actually had dyslexia. So his needs could be appropriately addressed. And so all was eventually well with the world on this case. And on that end, we will close the file on Pavit and the pill pushers. Until we open up our next file, this is Jen Laviano. And Julie Swanson. 
The Special Ed Files is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Our executive producer is Dave DeRoche, Quinnipiac University Director of Community Programming. Our producer is Brian Murphy. File closed.